how do you get ahead of the game to make sure your stuff is correct and right? And um, I mean, is there is there any anything you can do? Yeah, there are several things you can do. Um, I think the biggest one that most companies mess up on or, or fail to do is um, have a implemented document destruction policy. Um, you're not allowed to destroy evidence once a case has been initiated, but if you have a routine policy that every 18 months you purge your email archives just as a matter of policy to save server space and so forth, then you don't have such a backlog. When you get into court and they ask for every email concerning such and such a topic, you only have what you have. And as long as you sort of have a policy in writing that's implemented on a routine basis, um, that will really reduce the volume. Welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business. And I think we've done it. Black Letter, the name comes from the Gothic typeset that was originally used in the Gutenberg Press. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. Everything else was printed in regular type. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said. Black Letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify Black Letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. I'm your host for Black Letter, Tom Dunlap. I have with me in the studio, Laura Safarian and David Ludwig. And we'll start with Laura on my left. Laura is an attorney with Dunlap Bennett Ludwig. She was a clerk for the Honorable Judge Robert J. Smith. That's correct, yeah. And Robert J. Smith is a circuit court judge, a regular judge in Fairfax County <laughs> a Circuit regular Court. judge, yes. He is a judge who judges things. <laughs> yes. Uh, is he judgmental? No, he is not judgmental. But no, he's a great he guy. he judges things, he has to be a He has to be, yeah. He has no choice. And David Ludwig, who's an attorney with Dunlap Bennett and Ludwig. And both David, uh, David's been practicing law for years. 12 years. 12 years. Um, they're both uh, involved in business litigation, and that's what we're here to talk about today. When businesses get into disputes with their own employees, with partners in the business, with third parties, with vendors, with contract partners, whoever it is, there's just any number of people that can come at a business. And the more successful your business, the more likely it is you're going to get sued by one of those people because they, they see money and they see deep pockets and they go for it. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about, um, first, what is a business dispute, the kinds of business disputes, and how do you deal with a business dispute if you're a business, and what the view is like from being a lawyer, which both of you are, who handles business disputes in court. Uh, and then Laura is going to talk a little bit about what it was like clerking for a Fairfax uh, County Circuit Court judge and a view from the bench, from her perspective, of what it's like to look out at lawyers and business litigants and kind of what they see and what goes on behind the scenes. So uh, with that, uh, I'll just kind of kick it off a little bit. Um, so uh, David, why don't you tell me what what is business lit? We say business litigation or commercial litigation or a business dispute. Um, what are those things? What mediation, arbitration? What is that all one thing or, or what is that? Yeah, that's a really big umbrella. Business disputes can take on various uh, formats. Substantively, there can be claims related to employment, contracts, shareholder disputes, uh, intellectual property, any number of things. 
And then, of course, procedurally, sometimes it's a negotiation, it's following a cease and desist letter, sometimes they're arbitrated, sometimes they go to court, sometimes it's state court, federal court. Uh, so it's really a, a wide variety of things, but it's essentially just any kind of disputes, legal disputes that concern a business, claims made against a business that need to be resolved. So by big, um, like golf umbrella size, big umbrella, yes, not the little foldy ones. No, yes, it's you a get big tent. $5. There's a lot of different types of claims there. Now you're getting political. <laughs> All right, so big tent. So we're talking big tent issues. Yes. So any kind of business dispute. Um, so what happens uh, in a business dispute? You've got two parties going at each other, and presumably at least one of them's a business. Um, what's the let's let's go with a hypothetical. Uh, business A breaches contract to pay business B for, um, I think, Laura, you're working on a case right now where a, a, a food products seller, what do they sell again? Remind me, isn't it? Uh, like unique meats. Unique meats. Exotic meats. <laughs> Exotic meat. I think meats, they sell yeah. like kangaroo. Yeah, things like emu. that. Something like yep, that. Emu's, I'm pretty sure emu is actually one of them. I don't know about kangaroo. Um, so that was a, that's a business dispute, right? Yes, exactly. So, and so in what, tell matter, me about who, who's on the other side of that dispute, um, a restaurant. So essentially we have a client who is selling these unique or exotic meats and they've been providing this good to a restaurant in DC for so many years and they essentially just stopped paying. So we're trying to essentially collect. Did you that. file a suit? No, not yet. We're kind are of you, are it, you? it's so in a lot of business disputes, and particularly this one, they want to they don't want to burn that bridge. They want to. So we got to wait then on this one. Yeah, so let's, we're let's wait it out we'll talk what about happens. a different yeah. business. <laughs> so tell me about then, David, hypothetically or by example, can you tell me about a business dispute case that we can talk about publicly on the air that is out in public? Um, you know, maybe share with me kind of the genesis of the dispute, and then what I'd like to share with our listeners today is not you know, really the substantive part of the business dispute, except for background, but what happens? So you file a lawsuit and then the other side has to respond to a lawsuit and then stuff happens in the middle and then somebody wins or loses. Like, what does that process look like? How long does it take? Um, and if I'm the business, how do I win? What, what do I need to do right to win? Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to that. I mean, one, uh, one case that we had about a year ago, involved um, a developer in Washington, D.C. that flips buildings, you know, all those decrepit old buildings in Washington, D.C., all the urban renewal and revitalization. So um, We're not saying that all the buildings in D.C. are decrepit. No, no. but some of them are transitioning. <laughs> like Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue, yes. houses there are colored nice white. That's, that's not decrepit. <laughs> there are some gorgeous <laughs> ones, but there are some old ones that need a, a facelift. That's more uh, about who lives there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so. Um, yeah, so this company basically gathers money from associates and investors, and then buys a property, pays the contractors to renovate it, and then flips it. And in this particular case, one of the investors uh, came in and said- uh, And by flip, you mean they sell it. They right, resell they resell it. it. Right. Uh, so sure people an investor was frustrated with the pace of the project and wanted their money back immediately. So they brought a suit against our clients saying that we weren't acting fast enough and so forth. Um, so that's Did they try to settle it first dispute. or did they just sue? There was a couple of letters and some miscommunication, um, but essentially the investor demanded all the money back right then. The money back was tied up in the project, so they couldn't give it back. And so then it led to this uh, lawsuit. Okay. So the investor filed the lawsuit against your client. And so what did that, what is that called? They filed a complaint. Right. So then what the happens after the complaint's filed? Uh, after the complaint's filed, there's either a responsive motion or an answer. 
So responsive motion is like a motion to dismiss. Mm -hmm. In Virginia, it's got this weird name called a demur, which is just old school Virginia Latin stuff because it's Virginia. Um, but uh, so you typically people will file a motion to dismiss to try to get the case out of court. Those are often not successful. And then you answer and then you open the Pandora's box of what's called discovery. Okay. Well, and Laura, you've been involved in discovery. So what is discovery? What's, what's involved in this, this mess? This, I think probably the scariest part of any business dispute is discovery in terms of cost. Definitely. And what's revealed by both sides. So Yeah, so well, you can certainly that? get bogged down in it, right? I mean, if you are dealing with larger companies and a lawsuit that has, you know, the fact pattern encompasses a large amount of time for a couple of years, that's going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of documents. So you kind of just have to take a step back when you get it at first, because of course, it's always going to be overwhelming. And it's really just organization and really getting a lot of manpower to cipher through everything organize it, put it in certain categories, what's relevant, what's not relevant, what needs to be produced. So what's the purpose of this discovery though? What, what, do you, what is your end state? It, is discovery to make lawyers money? Like to give you, give you guys something to do, like lots of no, hours I mean, to you, read stuff? Sure. So I mean, a, some attorneys, right, will be of the mindset that there can be no stone left unturned. They want to get everything. They want to see everything. They want to dig deep into everything. So it's right. kind of striping. That can the, be good. Of course. Yeah, no, of I course. get that. But what's the purpose for the business owner? If I'm the business owner and you're doing discovery and you're saying, well, this is, you know, a hundred hours a month of five lawyers at 500 hours a month total. And I'm paying for that. I want to know why am I paying for it? Sure. I mean, mostly it's responding to motions from opposing counsel. It's responding to answers, interrogatories, requests for production. So we have to go through everything, make sure there's nothing here that's damaging or privileged material. And that's what really okay. requires all the time being devoted to it is making sure there's nothing in there we're going to turn over to opposing counsel. It's going to be come back and hurt us in the okay. long run. So you, so David, Laura said interrogatories and requests for production right. of documents. Um, what are those? Are those, that's discovery presumably, but can you tell us what the difference is and how does that work? Sure. Yeah. I mean, discovery is all about trying to collect the evidence you need to go to trial and to show a jury that you should win. So we ask questions. That's interrogatories. You write down a question. Tell me what happened on this day. And the other side has to answer. Um, you do requests for production of documents. Can they see. lie? Can the other side say, so I would send you an interrogatory if I was suing you. Um, did you steal my money? And I know you did, but what are you going to say? You're going to say <laughs> yes? I mean, I know you did, but how do you answer that? Uh, well, that's why lawyers are important, because we know how to word answers in a particular way. You, so of course, I didn't necessarily <laughs> steal your money. I may have used it. Right. You, of course, uh, have to answer truthfully, and interrogatory responses are signed under penalty of perjury. Uh, so it's important to be forthright, because you could get in a lot of trouble for lying. But at the same time, you have to be strategic in how you sort of phrase your responses. So, so is, that, that, do, do, is that what lawyers call lying? Str strategic? <laughs> Strategery? Strategery, yes. Gotcha. I like that word. We'll, use, we'll say strategic. You have to be strategic exactly. in your responses. You've got I'm, to think about the long game. I get it. You have to be careful when you answer <laughs> yeah. interrogatories. What about requests for production of documents? Is that just literally paper? Is that just give me all of your... What if everything's in email or in my chat or in my... It's in the cloud. I keep oh, it in yeah. the cloud so you can't get it. Yeah, no, document requests are not just for paper documents anymore. And nowadays, most document request responses are not, are all electronic because everything's so, so electronic. So the, the courts have revised their rules to encompass text messaging and Facebook status updates and just about every type of 
electronic or paper documents. Well, I see there some could big be. holes there for litigation. <laughs> what you put into the into the Ethernet or the internet is forever, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, and all that stuff comes up in in litigation. So, so um, it, it, discovery question, Laura, and I know you're you're newer as an associate, but maybe in your time as a clerk for the judge or working as a lawyer, what's the most interesting thing you've ever discovered in discovery? Or I guess you don't see discovery stuff as a judge's yeah, clerk. you don't. I mean, you get discovery motions, which judges are not very fond of. Judges don't like discovery no, motions. No, they just. This isn't news to me. Bickering but, back and forth between the attorneys. How does a judge feel about a discovery motion? <laughs> not fondly. I mean, there are procedures and rules mm-hmm. and just general ideas of practice that attorneys should be able to figure that stuff out for themselves. So between judges each are, other. But they yeah. just, attorneys don't like each other. They usually don't. Yeah. Um, so, so, but still, what is the most interesting thing you've discovered in discovery. Can you think of any interesting discoveries? Interesting thing. David, do you have any interesting discoveries in discovery? Uh, I will go outside of my own cases. Uh, okay. My wife did document review for a while in a large uh, antitrust case. And this was one of these cases with just millions and millions of pages of documents yeah. and a whole room full of attorneys reviewing them. Um, and some of the key- like Some of the high level uh, um, directors of this corporation were having extramarital affairs. And so that kept everything really interesting <laughs> to hear the, the back Not and forth. Not part of the case, but, but interesting discovery They were produced material. and it made it a little more interesting to review them having these <laughs> dalliances to, to read into other people's oh diaries. So that was kind of fun. Thank you to our sponsor today, Dunlap, Bennett & Ludwig. Dunlap, Bennett & Ludwig solves complex business problems with smart solutions acting as advocates and advisors to their clients with diverse professional backgrounds from MBAs to PhDs to bankers to military officers, real-world experience for real-world problems. Dunlap, Bennett, and Ludwig doing better law. To find out more, visit www.dblawyers.com. So um, discovery process, my kind of takeaway from that for a business is it's an expensive, necessary process, but it's going to air your dirty laundry. So what right. advice would you give to a business who hasn't been in a litigation yet, but you may, if you're a business and you're successful, you're going to be in a litigation someday. What's your advice about kind of managing that ahead of the game? How do you get ahead of the game to make sure your stuff is correct and right and your emails with your mistress aren't out there? Um, I mean, is there, is there any, anything you can do? Yeah, there's several things you can do. Um, I think the biggest one that most companies mess up on or or fail to do is um, have a implemented document destruction policy. Um, You're not allowed to destroy evidence once a case has been initiated. But if you have a routine policy that every 18 months you purge your email archives, just as a matter of policy to save server space and so forth, then you don't have such a backlog. When you get into court and they ask for every email concerning such and such a topic, you only have what you have. And as long as you sort of have a policy in writing that's implemented on a r- routine basis, um, that will really reduce the volume of documents that's going to come out. But it could destroy emails that help you too. So, so can, you, can you selectively destroy or can you file folder emails that, you know, I mean, I guess you have to plan for the litigation ahead of time, but. Yeah. I mean, even if you have a document destruction policy that says everything is purged after 18 months, you can still archive certain things that are germane to a specific matter. Uh, so that would just be sort of purging anything that is, you know, routine. But if you see something on the horizon, if you're, you know, see a contract dispute brewing or something, you don't have to destroy that specific documents. You can put them in a separate file cabinet if you need them. 
So, so do you think our, our president has a document destruction policy? <laughs> oh, I'm going too far afield. <laughs> so uh, that's that's not a business litigation right. issue. Well, there Just, was those all the seconds missing from Nixon's tapes, right? Yeah. So we're now we're talking about Nixon. Actually, is the president? <laughs> that's we're talking the president. About. So everybody's clear. We're talking about Watergate. <laughs> And the 70s, right. um, nothing else. And nothing no similar, nothing yep. like that no, it would no, be no. happening. So, um, so discovery, valuable but expensive process. Yep. After discovery's over, um, what happens? Uh, when do you get to the part where you win the case? <laughs> it's a long road litigation. That's, I think, what all businesses should understand. A lot of people get into it and they say, uh, you know, well, he, he, they're just wrong. Can't we just go tell the judge that they're wrong? And no is the answer to that. Um, you've got I had a to... client ask me where judge eats dinner. <laughs> so he said, tell. where's the client judge eat dinner? I'm going to go talk yeah, to him. That's inappropriate. <laughs> Apparently you can't do that, right? No. Okay. Uh, yeah, but it's a long process. After discovery is usually what we call dispositive motions, where you take what you've got in discovery and you show it to the judge and you say, look at this. We should be able to win based on this alone without having a full-blown trial. Uh, and then if that's not successful, you ultimately do go to a trial with so the that, jury. that's summary judgment. Yep. As a, as a rough matter, and clients ask this all the time, what are your chances of actually going to trial versus settlement? Like how many cases settle and how many cases, does every case go to trial or is it more common that they settle? What, what's kind of the, your general experience? Oh yeah, I, I think settlement is far more common. I think probably close to 90% of cases settle before they go to trial. And it's just the economics of the situation. Litigation is very expensive and, uh, and taking a case to trial is only worth it in a select number of cases that are really it's high the profile. Lawyers that make it expensive, isn't it? <laughs> oh, this is true. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's part of it, right? Everybody pays at the end of the day. Yeah. So, um, so we talked about uh, what you said are dispositive motions. I assume right. so. Th- that means dispositive means that the judge can resolve the case without you having to have a trial before the trial. Correct. Is that instead of the trial? Now, if if you if you don't win. And get the case dismissed on a dispositive motion, or win the case on a dispositive motion, then you get the trial. Uh, you you only get a trial if the dispositive motion doesn't resolve the case completely. Okay. And um, we have this whole constitutional right to a jury that's enshrined in the federal and every state constitution that says in most cases uh, you have a right to have a jury hear your case. So dispositive motions are somewhat limited by that, and they really only allowed if the judge thinks it's sort of a overwhelmingly clear case that we don't even need to send it to a jury. Uh, but a lot of cases that get that far to the end and don't settle uh, will end up going to trial and, and survive those dispositive motions. So tell me about this jury thing. Can you have a case without a jury? If the parties agree to it, yes. But uh, if one party wants a jury, then they have this constitutional right in most cases. All right. And Laura, you, you've seen trials before. I have. So uh, my question to you, have you ever seen What's that movie with Joe Pesci? My Cousin Vinny. My Cousin Vinny. Did you see My Cousin Vinny? Yes, that is my favorite movie. Fantastic movie. The two Utes are my favorite characters in that movie. Mm -hmm. Ralph Macchio (laughs) was one, actually. I don't remember the other one was. Uh, But my question is, are trials like that? I mean, does everybody memorize everything they say? And uh, is, well, I don't know if that's a good example. Maybe I should do it just like (laughs) To Kill a Mockingbird or something. But, um, but yeah, so you always see on TV, Law and Order and all of these shows, they're very dramatic and everybody's got everything memorized and they're walking around the room. I mean, has that been your experience with trials? Not necessarily. I mean, you can only prepare so much, right? I mean, you're not, you can anticipate certain things and a lot of things you can't. So there's a lot of 
It's a lot slower moving. It's not as dramatic, obviously. It's not, not as, as exciting. It's not as exciting. I mean, it can be. It certainly can be, especially if the topic is something of interest. But no, but nothing what, 90% like... But 90% of the trial is probably the most boring thing you've ever done in your yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll, I'll share as somebody who's done some trials. That's That's been a lot of my experience. Yeah. Um, so uh, if you win the trial, your case is over. Is that right? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so are, do you have to pay more lawyer's fees after you win the case? Uh, almost always you do. Yeah. There's inevitably appeals, post uh, So businesses don't think about that, though. Right. We win the trial. We've won. Give me my money. I <laughs> Where's won. Where's the money? Yep. Right? So, so what happens after you win the trial? You have a jury verdict. Right. What does that mean? Uh, jury verdict is when the jury comes out of their deliberations and says, I think you won on this claim, and here's how much money you get paid in damages. And I should go home with a check that day. No. But I don't. (laughs) Right. So what happens? Uh, Then the judge has a role to play before it's all done in converting that jury verdict into a final judgment order, basically putting pen to paper of what they said. And there's often disputes. What did they say? What did it mean? How should we describe it in the final judgment order? Um, And then there are also post-trial motions where the losing party will file a motion, sometimes both parties file a motion to ask the court to reconsider its decision or to, to change it in some way. Uh, and all of that needs to be litigated. Sometimes there's ancillary motions related to attorney's fees or other issues. Uh, and all of that can take a long time before you even get to get from a verdict to a judgment. So all of that happens. So I've got my jury verdict. And now how long is it until all of that's done? Judge finally puts the pen. We, you have all these motions back and forth. Now we get a judgment from a jury verdict. And how, how long have we spent? Oh, it really just depends on your judge. We, there was one case we had that you were working on that it was the better part of a year before the judge came back. More than that. Yeah, a year and three months. <laughs> That's um, unusual, though. Often it's within a couple or two to three months. So, so you've got now a judgment that you can go and execute on. Um, does the other side just write you a check? Nope. Again, this is where a lot of cases settle after judgment for less than the judgment amount through negotiations because the alternative is the collections process where you have to find their assets, chase down the money, so use the court lawsuit. process. Yep. You more judicial have to process. File a lawsuit to enforce your lawsuit. Right. That's what we're saying. And I'm I'm breaking down the legal process here painfully. I don't know if I'm <laughs> I'm hurting myself as a lawyer, because it is painful. <laughs> it is. But what about appeals? Yep, and there are also appeals uh, that can come after your final judgment. Sometimes one side or both sides will take it up on appeal to various Appellate courts or Supreme Courts, you can go, I mean, some cases, big cases can spend decades in the appellate process. Not good. No. Now, I, I, something about appeals, though, that I think is often overlooked. Tell me a little bit, Laura, I don't know if you know about how this works, but when somebody appeals, they typically have to post a bond. Are you familiar with that? Yep. Okay. So tell me, what is, what is the appeal bond? How do they, who posts that? What is it? What does it mean? It's usually the appealing party that okay. is responsible. The party that lost. Exactly. So they're who the ones is appealing. that are saying, judge, you were wrong. Correct. So what is the appeal bond? So it essentially is kind of an assurance. If the appeal doesn't work out in the person who is appealing in the appellant's favor, then that is kind of an assurance to other party saying, listen, we lost, take it. And they can essentially take that bond as an assurance for the appeal. So if, if that party that appeals loses their appeal, the bright side is that the party that didn't appeal gets paid. Exactly. They don't have to go through exactly. the collections process. So there can be, there's another leverage point there. Um, so other stuff. Uh, now, is there anything else that you guys want to share? Any, I mean, I have trial moments in my history 
that I, I love thinking about uh, winning or losing parts of a case. But is there anything that you guys have that you, you know, maybe clerking for the judge or David in any case you've worked on that you thought was particularly interesting or maybe there's some kind of didactic, pedantic, other three-syllable word moment that you could share with the listening audience? Uh, I mean, you know, I think... Put you on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> I think, Ouch. you know, trial practice is very unpredictable, as Laura was saying, and, and there can be real curveballs and surprises when it comes to evidence and a lot of issues. A lot of clients don't understand that. And, you know, the judge will rule that an entire body of evidence is not admissible in your case, which changes your entire case, everything you have to present. Um, so a lot of clients sort of, you know, will... will think, oh, the lawyer did something wrong, you know, we, right? something happened, but really it's a lot of times the judge will just make yeah. these erratic rulings and throw, throw you these curveballs. So are judges infallible? <laughs> are we going to uh, say this on, on video? They're, are they fallible? I they're, think they, they can, are human Judges beings. can be pretty fallible. Yes. I mean, or they could exclude your entire PowerPoint. I think that happens. Yeah, that happens, happens once in a once while. before, and that throws <laughs> you off That's why we have game. appeals, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, so I think we accomplished our goal. Um, short summary, and- Tell me if I, if I miss anything. So business litigation is expensive and painful, but it happens right. and it's part of the cost of doing business. And so it's important to know kind of what the process is and what you're in for and what your timeline looks like before you get involved. And I think it's really, really important that you have a good lawyer that tells you this stuff. Um, if you guys have anything else for the good of the cause. All right. No? I think that's it. All yeah. right. Well, thank you, Laura. Thank you, David, for coming today. Uh, thanks for joining us today on Black Letter. That's all for today's episode of Black Letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more Black Letter issues in creative ways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play so you never miss an episode. And to catch us on video, check out our website at blackletterstudios.com. <laughs>